You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Almighty God, pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. I have a friend, and the, the first time we got together uh, with our wives, we were talking about our respective church backgrounds, and he described himself as a denominational mutt. He had grown up Methodist, but he'd gone to the Presbyterian youth group, and he'd been involved in another, a number of churches along the way. And he said, heck, I was confirmed in the Roman Catholic Church when I was 13. And his wife said, you what? <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, and he said, well, uh, pretty simple. Uh, my mom needed childcare. Now, uh, I have heard of people putting their kids in four or five vacation Bible schools in the summer for some extra childcare, but I have never heard of a Protestant family in the rural South putting their child in Roman Catholic confirmation in the name of childcare. And so we all had a laugh. It was kind of funny. But then the sad reality of the situation set in. His mom was a single parent. His father lived four hours away. His mom was working two jobs to try to support him and his brother. His grandfather had terminal cancer, and his grandmother had been in a serious car accident and had broken both of her legs and could not walk. So here was his mom. She was trying to make ends meet and support her sons. She was trying to raise two boys as a single mom. She was trying to take care of her terminally ill father, and she was trying to take care of her mother who could not walk. It is what I would describe as an impossible appointment. I use the term appointment intentionally because in God's sovereignty, this was the situation in which she found herself. It's not what she wanted. It's not what she signed up for. But here she was, with this impossible challenge in front of her and all these questions. How would there be enough time? How would there be enough money? How would there be enough energy? How would she shoulder all of this burden? Now, as you listen to this scenario, you may be able to identify with it in a different kind of way. Perhaps it's addiction or mental illness or a diagnosis or a financial catastrophe or a life of grief or life as a single parent. But regardless, we have all had our fair share of impossible appointments, where it just seemed like there was no way forward. Well, in 1 Samuel 17, David found himself in a situation that we could accurately characterize as an impossible appointment. The narrator makes clear that David's entry into the story is by God's providence. David was the youngest while his brothers were doing military service, he was back on the farm tending the sheep. And on this morning, he happened to rise early to take rations to the front line. And he arrived at just the time when the Israelite troops were moving forward against the Philistines. And Goliath, this giant who was over nine feet tall and whose armor weighed over 125 pounds, stepped forward to issue his challenge. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. Here was David, 
basically a kid with no military experience. But he arrived at just the right moment, and he received the call. Defeating Goliath seemed virtually impossible, but it was the appointment that God had ordained for David. This notion of an impossible appointment may hit you in a raw kind of way, either from your past or in your present. You're in an impossible situation and you just really have no idea how you're going to make it forward. Well, 1 Samuel 17, God has a word of hope. And I want to look at that word of hope today in three parts. God's deliverance, God's character, and God's salvation. And what we'll see is that because God is a Savior, not only can the Lord bring us through impossible appointments, the name of Jesus Christ can be glorified in our lives as he brings us through. So first, God's deliverance. When David volunteers to fight Goliath, uh, King Saul is understandably dumbfounded. (laughs) He basically says, David, you're too young and you're too small. Goliath is too experienced and he is too big. But this is not phase David's resolve. He replies to Saul in verses 34 and 36. He says, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now the key phrase here is the Philistine shall be like one of them. When David showed up for work as a shepherd, we can assume that he was not hoping that he would encounter a bear or a lion. And yet, that is what had happened multiple times in his life. He had 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 to enter into these deadly occasions, and he had had to literally engage in combat with lions and bears. But David had seen the Lord preserve him and deliver him in these moments. And so David has this confidence That because the Lord has delivered and protected me in the past, God can deliver and protect me here in this impossible situation with Goliath. Four days after my son died in 2013, I had uh, a pretty significant collapse. Uh, My wife was out of the house. My daughter was taking a nap. And it was very painfully silent. This is a time of day when I would have been shushing my son to be quiet so that he didn't wake the baby. And it was just so deafeningly quiet in the house. So I started to cry, and I was in our bedroom, and I wept on the carpet. And I had this very peculiar sensation of carpet fibers in my teeth. Now, as strange as this may sound, as I was laying there crying, I remembered that one other time in my life I had had this sensation— When I was late in my teenage years, this is going to surprise you, I was dumped by a girl. (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) And I remembered crying on the carpet in my bedroom and remembered getting carpet fibers in my teeth. And it was funny because even though this was a much lesser deal, having a breakup as a teenager, when I was 19 years old, that felt like the end of the world. And I thought I would never recover. 
And so I remembered that the Lord healed my broken heart back then, and that the Lord could heal my broken heart in this horrible trial. And it gave me just the grace and just the hope I needed to take the next step in this impossible situation. One of the blessings of walking with and trusting Christ in your life is over and over again, you see different times and different ways that God provides and God heals and God protects you and God delivers you. And so you can look back and see the faithfulness of God. You can look back and say, the Lord has been faithful in the past and I can trust the Lord to be faithful here and now in this impossible situation. Now, as God's deliverance in our lives encourages us in our impossible appointments, so does his nature, which takes us to our second point, God's character. Now, as you learn to write in school, your English teacher encourages you to use a diversity of words. Don't use the same words or same phrases over and over again. Well, if you were a Hebrew student in the ancient Near East, your Hebrew teacher would have taught you the opposite. He or she would have said, use the same words over and over again to make points of emphasis. Use repetition. And in 1 Samuel 17, we see two incidents of repetition that are critical. And they're critical because they answer two pivotal questions that you have in times of suffering. Is God in control? And is God for me? Is he on my side? The first term is the phrase, the living God. This is the only chapter in all of 1st and 2nd Samuel that the term, the living God, is used. But it's used multiple times here in this story with Goliath. David says, who dares defy the people of the living God? And essentially what David is saying is that our God is real. David is clear, and he makes clear, that Goliath is worshiping a non-existent pagan god while David is worshiping the true and living God of Israel. And so David believes that this God, his God, our God, can reach down into our lives and can actually help us. He believes that God is in control of all circumstances, even impossible appointments like this. The second term that is repeated is the term the Philistine. David is, uh, Goliath, is referred to by his proper name, only twice in this whole passage, but he is referred to as the Philistine 20 different times. And in the battle scene where David is going head to head with Goliath, in 10 verses, he is referred to as the Philistine 10 times. And there is a reason for this. In God's covenant with Abraham, his covenant with the Jews, God says that those who are against his people are against God himself. He says in his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And he reiterates this promise in Exodus, in the covenant with Moses. He says in Exodus 23, 22, But you will carefully obey him and do everything I say. Then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. The repetition of the term Philistine is emphasizing that Goliath is a non-Jew who is an enemy of God's people. It is emphasizing the covenant promise of the Lord. So to David, the size and the experience of Goliath are immaterial. They are immaterial to the point that David doesn't even wear armor into this battle. He has only a slingshot and a few stones. What matters to David is the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. Because the covenant faithfulness of God says that God is on my side. God is for me. 
And with the new covenant, we don't have human or geopolitical enemies. Our enemies are sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus has gone to war with them on the cross. In an impossible appointment, your circumstances are suggesting that God is not in control because it feels like your life is spiraling out of control. And your circumstances suggest that God is against you because you understandably ask the question, if God was for me, how could he allow me to be in this position? But it is not about the nature of your circumstances. It is about the nature of a good, loving, kind, and sovereign God who is for you. When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, it tells us decisively that God is in control and that God is for us. And we find hope in God's deliverance and hope in God's character. And finally, we find hope in God's salvation. Toward the end of 1 Samuel 17, the time of talk is over. David comes face to face with Goliath. And David has written lots and lots of checks with his mouth. And now it is put up or shut up time. And in the thick of the battle with Goliath, when, when Goliath approaches, there are two critical phrases that David uses that are related to his salvation. In verse 47, he says, The battle belongs to the Lord. And in verse 46, he says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. In Psalm 40, which was written by David and is about his salvation, David writes in verse 1 and 3, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So the pattern of language that David is using is that of God the subject performing action of rescue. He heard. He drew me up. He set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. God is the subject. Rescue is the action. And as God redeems and saves David, what is the fruit? What is the result of his salvation? It is that many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord God. Well, notice in the encounter with Goliath, the language that David uses is very similar to the language used in Psalm 40 when David describes his salvation. In verse 46, he says, The Lord, God being the subject, will deliver you into my hand. God does the action of rescue. Verse 47, The Lord... God being the subject, saves not with sword and spear. God does action of, re action of rescue. And in verse 48, he, God the subject, will give you into our hand. God does the action of rescue. And what is the fruit? What is the result of God's act of deliverance here? It is that all the earth may know that there is a God of, in Israel. As God performs his saving work, the result is that God is glorified and others put their trust in the Lord. The dynamics of David's original salvation, as seen in Psalm 40, are governing and informing his thinking as he walks into this impossible appointment. God had saved and redeemed David from sin and death, and he can redeem and save David from this impossible situation. Listen, friends, no matter how impossible the situation is that you may find yourself in, there was never a situation more impossible 
and more hopeless than being a sinner before a holy and just God. And Jesus came and rescued and delivered us from that eternal impossible situation. And why did he do it? Not just to save us, but so that Christ would be glorified in our lives. And that is why it is so fundamental and so important for us to keep the basic gospel always in front of our face, to keep our original salvation on our lips every single day. Because this is our story. We dwelled in eternal, ultimate darkness, but Jesus rescued and redeemed us. And he continues to rescue and redeem us throughout our lives. And why? So that the name of Jesus Christ, the great and glorious name of Jesus, would be glorified and seen in our lives. Now, when we read the story of David and Goliath, we naturally tend to see ourselves as David and our challenge as Goliath, and we need God's help to help us take down Goliath. Well, in reality, we are more like the Israelites. We are sitting helplessly on the sidelines, and we need David. We need a warrior. We need Jesus to come in and fight the battle for us. We need his intervention. And this is the way, this thinking, it leads us to trust the Lord. And it leads us to have hope. And when we have hope, we can take the next step in any impossible situation. If you are a skeptic, you're trying on Christianity, I want you to know that the basic message of Christianity is this, that we are all standing before Goliath, all of us. And, and Goliath is the problem of sin and death. And saving faith is us stepping out of the way and letting Jesus fight the battle for us. It's trusting in what Jesus did on the cross to be our warrior against this problem of sin and death. And finally, uh, these impossible situations are not theoretical. They're not hypothetical. They're very, very real for many of us. And I want you to remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. It has always belonged to the Lord. And the God who watches over you, the God who loves you, the God whose name is Jesus Christ, he will fight for you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.